Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore-Youssef, your host as always. And today I'm absolutely delighted to have um, a new friend of mine, someone who I've been on his podcast and now thankfully he's come on here. His name is Alex Partridge. You may know him as um, ADHD Chatter. Um, He's fantastic. He's created an amazing podcast and I have been really looking forward to to having Alex on the podcast. Now, if you don't know who he is, he is one of the um, pioneers of social media content the way we know it today. And at the age of 21, he founded Unilad and Lad Bible, two of the most popular social news and entertainment internet companies in the world with an astonishing following of 100 million people around the globe. And now at 34 years old, Alex was diagnosed with ADHD and has quickly become a leading voice on social media around neurodiversity. His impassioned views on entrepreneurship and neurodiversity has quickly amassed him a following of over 500,000 people. I'm absolutely delighted to have you here, Alex. Thank you so much. Oh no! Thank you so much. It's it's um, really surreal, actually, because that was about eleven months ago. I was considering whether or not I should get assessed for ADHD, and I was binging this podcast, your podcast. So to now be a guest on it is a real, uh, real surreal moment. So thank you so much for the invite. Well, you know, Alex, I remember getting that message from you on, I think it was LinkedIn, and you sent me a message saying, you know, I'm starting this podcast and I'd love you, for, you know, for you to come on and, you know, talk about it. And obviously, you know, I don't get that many requests from, you know, to be on male podcasts because obviously my audience is mostly women. And I was like really intrigued and excited. And then I looked at your bio and I was like, oh my God, he's the lad Bible guy and he wants me on his podcast. So I was equally, you know, excited and just really inspired to hear your story, your personal story. Now we've actually met in real life, which was such an ADHD moment because um, just for a quick backstory, I remember, I think we were messaging backwards and forwards and I don't even think you knew where I lived and you said um, you were coming really nearby to do an event, you were speaking at an event. And within a couple of hours, we'd organized for me to come and collect you, take you to the train station and have a chat and a dog walk and a coffee. Um, And we did it. It was like, you know, ridiculously impulsive but I'm so glad that we did that because you know in this space we don't often meet each other in real life and just have had that kind of like hour where we chatted and connected and I can't wait to to share your wisdom and your experience and what you've got to offer I kind of said to you off camera that I wanted this almost to be like a bit of a a mentoring session to anyone that feels that they would love to create their own entrepreneurial journey but feel a little bit kind of blocked by their neurodiversity And I wonder if you're able to share a little bit of your backstory as obviously a hugely successful person in, you know, entrepreneurship, in social media, what you're able to achieve at the age of 21. But 
on the flip side, like when did you start noticing these these signs or these traits that you felt perhaps were holding you back? There was self sabotage, and you were you were struggling. Well, I think anxiety has always been a major comorbidity. I now know what that word is. Uh, looking hmm. back into my really early years, I think I was always a very anxious child. I remember sitting in the back of a classroom and very quiet, always in my head. And I remember one particular day, the teacher pointed at me and said, Alex, do you know the answer to this question? And all of the pupils turned around and looked at me. And in that moment, my face went red. I could feel it. The palms went sweaty and my breathing got quite difficult. And I stood up and I left the classroom and I found someone in the corridor and I said, you need to call an ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. I wasn't having a heart attack. Of course, I wasn't. I was having an anxiety attack at six years old. I've always had that incredible racing mind that when I'm sort of forced to, to not allow it to come out in creative ways, then it, it really manifests into anxiety. And that was the first time that anxiety was mentioned when I was six. And that was the first of many anxiety attacks. So that was looking back like the first real sign of, of, of something that was a bit different to everyone else. Yeah. You know, what you talk about a lot in your social media is that you relate to how sort of this typical way ADHD shows up in girls and, and women. You've got a very compassionate way. And I think that you've said before that typically in ADHD, you know, boys, it's always the external, very sort of overexcitable, hyperactive way. And you didn't relate to that. So you struggle to be able to spot these signs of ADHD in yourself. And so did that anxious mind that racing mind that the sort of the the quiet exterior carry on manifesting throughout your academic life and I guess how did that impact you I think a total I would say in a positive way and I, I always just spoke about my own ADHD experience when I started making the content about it being internalized and I, I was never physically hyperactive it was only until I saw the feedback and the comments that it was mainly from women who related um, that I realized that perhaps women were relating to my experience more than some others. I've always had it internalised. I think it has led to be very creative. And I look back and it's always... The sedative to the anxiety for me was entrepreneurialism. And I remember, again, when I was seven years old, going through my parents' board games in their house and finding out all the addresses on the cardboard boxes and making my own board game and sending it off to all of these companies. And... I got a letter back from, from one of them after a couple of weeks and, and they said, I'm really sorry, we're not looking for any new designs at the moment, but always lean into that entrepreneurial side. So I think when I was allowed to do what I, was, what I wanted to do, that racing mind turned into creativity. It was only when I was sort of stuck in a classroom or not able to channel it in, in positive ways that it manifested into anxiety. And then as I got a bit older and I was able to leave the school system and do what I wanted, then that's when I just relentlessly started businesses because I knew that that was the antidote for me, for the anxiety. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, for you speaking out like this, have you had a lot of um, men, boys, you know, people that can really relate to the fact that they've been diagnosed with ADHD later on in life, but it actually hasn't presented in this sort of stereotypical way? Oh yes, lots. Yeah, lots of lots of men, women, everyone's relate relates to it. The feedback I got was, oh, that's more women relate to it because from a societal point of view, perhaps they don't act out, even if they might have 
hyperactive ADHD because of the societal constraints and narratives. They they sort of internalize it and that manifests into anxiety. So perhaps there's more relatability because of that. I think that probably is the case with a lot of women. Um, but no, just as many men, really. And I think it, they found it quite refreshing that somebody was framing ADHD in a different narrative than the stereotypical narrative. I think lots of men as well are similar to me in terms of we it, we internalized it. You know, I think I, I wasn't the only boy sat at the back of the classroom who was very still, mm. but my mind was very fast. Yeah. And that very fast mind obviously translated into, you know, like you say, creating businesses, wanting to be entrepreneurial, that almost feeling more settled, the busier you were creating and, and being kind of um, forward thinking. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Alex, in his um, late teens? You were at university, am I right, that you'd got to university and your head wasn't in the university game, it was in creating businesses. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think just to add, add a bit of context, you've probably got to go back two years. So after I left college, I was adamant that I didn't want to go to university because I associated anything educational with that classroom experience. And I almost had like this, this phobia of, of going back into that environment. So I didn't go to university straight away. I stayed in my hometown and I set up a business. It was a website where if you didn't want to, if you didn't know what to buy your, pre- your loved ones for their birthday, you would come onto my website, input their their interests and my website would suggest some presents which you could then buy them. And this was my first kind of big business, um, but it was also my first experience of the boom and bust cycle where I had really heavily invested time, money into creating this website and then waking up one day and it, my interest for it had just disappeared or it was a gradual process, but I remember the day where I really realized that I had absolutely no motivation towards that. And that was the first of two. In my second year after that, I repeated that cycle um, and it was actually after that having happened twice that my confidence in my own entrepreneurial ability was on the floor because I had these two huge failures behind me. So I thought, okay, I like entrepreneurialism, but I'm really bad at it because um, I've started these two businesses and then I've just given up on them, abandoned them because my interest has disappeared and I just thought that was normal. Um, so I applied to go to university. Um, in my first year of university, I started a, another business. So my third business, it was a late night pizza delivery company. I impulsively spent all of my student loan on a huge six foot freezer, filled it with frozen pizzas, set up a Facebook page. And if you were a student and you wanted a pizza in the middle of the night, you would text me, I would throw it in the oven. I had four people cycling around Oxford, delivering these pizzas to, to students. Um, but again, my interest for that idea disappeared. And so that was the third time that had happened. In my second year, that's when things got a bit more exciting. I entered into a relationship and she was the editor of a digital magazine in the university. And to cut a very long story short, the relationship didn't work. And my very sort of problem solving brain was, was thinking, how could I make her think that we had something in common? So I started something similar to what she was doing. And that's why, that's what started Unilad. Um, and that was in my second year of university in 2010. I, I sort of registered the name and, and that was really the start of my social media journey. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to hear this because I can almost like hear the cogs whirring and I can see like you're joining dots, you're noticing gaps in market, niches. Like that's why I just love neurodivergent brains because something just clicks into place and we see something 
and then we act on it. And that impulsive side of this is what often gets us into, you know, being incredible entrepreneurs. But then on the flip side, like you say, that's it's soul destroying. And it's like our self-belief is just, you know, on the floor when we just wake up that next morning and the dopamine's gone and we lose interest. But knowing now what you know about ADHD and looking back at that self, like, you know, now that you have got more of a retrospective understanding, what would you have done differently in those situations? Like, obviously, with the, the businesses, you know, certain businesses are meant to be, um, we have to kind of have these little stepping stones and breadcrumbs to get us to the different places. Any entrepreneur that we speak to, you know, anyone um, from, you know, Bill Gates to Bessos to anyone, they, they've they had lots of different businesses before until they get to that sort of jackpot but what would you say to anyone that is is going through this right now and I've had it as well of where you just lose interest do you think it's a matter of like you lacked support you weren't delegating um you were trying to do everything and not um and not being an expert at anything like what would you say looking back yeah I mean I was definitely just went too fast into all of them but when you're in that moment of excitement and you have and your motivation is there, like that hyper focus for me was a great ability. And when my excitement for all of those three businesses was, was there, then they actually achieved a lot. You know, I, I went from nothing to having four people delivering pizzas in Oxford within about a week. I, I went from nothing to having a, a successful website selling stuff with a, an affiliation with Amazon within about a week and a half. That hyperfocus is a tremendous strength. I, I just didn't have the awareness to, to take my foot off the accelerator and take a real introspective think and say, is this business actually something I'm, I'm intrinsically interested in doing in the long term? And the answer to the, all of those three was no, but I didn't know that at the time. So once the, the honeymoon period had passed and you know, we had to get into the harder, the more mundane stuff, that was me done, I'm off business abandoned so what would I do differently well I would say this to anyone now whenever you have an impulsive excitement moment is try and put some space between that that trigger that moment of excitement and taking action and I'm fully aware gosh I'm aware that's hard, easier said than done because when you're in that moment you don't want anyone to tell you to to have a breather you want to do it now yeah. right <laughs> yeah 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 but, that's what I would do. You know, I would, I would shelf the idea. I would put it on the shelf, the, my shelf of ideas. <laughs> and if I'm still looking over my shoulder at that idea in a week or two weeks, and I've really thought about, okay, in two weeks time, once I've bought the domain and I've done the branding and I've got to do the boring stuff like hire an accountant and apply for a trademark or whatever, am I still going to be interested in it? Um, I went too fast into all of those ideas. I didn't have the self-awareness either to know that I wasn't interested in those ideas intrinsically. I'm always interested in a rush of dopamine, which, all, which any new idea gives me, whether that's a car washing business or, or if I decided to become an accountant, I would get a flood of dopamine in that, during that honeymoon period, whatever it is on the planet. Uh, you know, but what actually intrinsically interests me, very small number of things. I just didn't know what they were at the time. So doing self-awareness exercises as well, I think that's fundamentally key to having success in business in any area especially when you have ADHD like because we're, we we all get excited in the early stages of anything but once that honeymoon period you know does it does it really excite us intrinsically does it really connect with us 
very few things do with me. I think that's the same for a lot of people. So finding out what those are um, and ensuring that the new business ideas align with those. Because once the honeymoon period passes and you've got to sit in a room for three hours and do a tax return or reply to 20 emails from disgruntled clients, you've got to love what you're doing. Or you've got to have, you've, there's got to be an intrinsic connection between that business and your interest. Otherwise, you'll, you'll quit at that point. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, it makes me laugh because there's there's so many memes going around, aren't there? You know, the amount of domain names that so many of us have registered, you know, when we get that dopamine rush of like, oh my God, it's an amazing business idea. And I can't even, I must have hundreds of business ideas that I've literally been like, oh my God, I'm registering the domain for, um, and or had conversations with. And I've now learned that some of these business ideas are just not meant for me. They're for someone else. So I'll, you know, I mean, my friends who actually don't even want to set up their own business have been like, have you thought about doing this? Because I think you'd be really good at it. So I just like hand, hand some of these business ideas over just so they can get some traction. If, you know, th- there's a possibility that they might come out into, into the world in some capacity. But I also think that, you know, we have these ideas for a reason, but we might not have to be that person on the ground doing all the mundane stuff. And if there's a way that we can strategically, you know, get help um, and, and and get some support in those different ways. And I always sort of say, you know, the first thing for me was getting an assistant. And that assistant for me has done a lot of those mundane tasks that I know my business would never, never get to this point now of carrying on doing the things that I do if I wasn't able to drop her an email and say, please, can you look at this? There's a glitch on the website. There's a problem with the mailing system because there's no way I would be able to do that. So I knew from a very early stage, I had to take a hit financially and pay for my assistant who's helped me grow my business. So anyone that's you know listening now is, don't do all that mundane stuff yourself if you know that's going to be your massive block that's going to prevent you from taking things forward but at the same time you know exactly what you said Alex is is like that pause and that breather to see if that really is for you is it Mm. for someone else is it just a dopamine chase is it just that moment where you can just register the domain pay you know 30 quid or something and just know it's there on the back burner um and, and 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 see what happens but you know what what differentiated for you to be able to stay in it for the long haul and create your Unilad and Lab Bible and really get it to the point where you got it? Like how how did you differentiate the other ones to making those a success? Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And I've spoken to a lot of people about this and really trying to understand what it was that made my relationship with Unilad and Lab Bible different to the other businesses that I had abandoned. And the conclusion that I've come to is that it's the landscape that I was building on social media for two reasons. And the first reason is that the platforms, Facebook, really it was just Facebook at the time, but now it's Instagram and TikTok and all the rest. They're constantly changing. They change every day. So for me, that's a mini new obsession every day to think about, okay, so what's the what's the latest platform on this one? What's the latest change on that one? The other business ideas, they're quite static. So having that awareness for me to build in a, on a landscape that is going to keep, that, that isn't going to static and it's going to have some kind of fluidity to it to keep my brain engaged. And the second thing with social media is when I post on Facebook, there's an instant feedback loop. There's an instant 
dopamine loop, a psychiatrist on, on, on my podcast said, and that's why he believes that's why I stuck at it. But I think really, like the main thing is that I had the resources by that stage as well to outsource the mundane, the mundane bits. When I had, when, and I, I had probably had them, if I was honest with myself before, you know, having a VA or a personal assistant, um, they are, I think, affordable for, for most people. I just didn't have the awareness to ask for one. So I learned from my first three major businesses that, okay, I don't really weak at those sections. Let's, let's find someone to help me with those. So it was a combination, I think, of a sort of perfect storm of the business was on a landscape that was constantly, a cha- constantly adjusting and changing. So I didn't get the opportunity to get, get into that terminal boredom phase mm-hmm. of it. And also I was delegating the boring bits out to, to other people who didn't struggle with those bits. So I think it was a combination of those two. I think that's really fascinating because what you've just told me then is like almost like a formula, a formula for your success of understanding your ADHD brain, your neurodivergent brain, of, of knowing that you there's a simplicity to what you understand. And we all understand things differently. We all have this sort of innate way of working and maybe social media for you was just very innate and you just got it and like you know other people can get gardening or baking or I don't know music and then you basically recognize that if it was static you wouldn't be interested you know that if you had to do the same thing every single day show up with no sort of expansion that would kind of curtail you that would just kind of like you know finish you off mm. but you recognize that if there was a fluidity there that there was going to be change and movement and growth that for you would keep that dopamine those dopamine receptors kind of like on the ball would you say would you say that feels pretty accurate yeah it does and i would add if i was brutally honest with myself i think the social media business what really differentiated that from all the others is that it really played into my inherent want to please people and because building on social media is so public you post something and and the world can see it so when you do that and you get positive feedback there's something deep inside me I don't know where it comes from that is an inherent people pleaser and that that was a key motivating factor to me but it, it was that but it was also because I had this audience that and I actually think this is probably the major keystone that made me stick at it was that it gave me accountability I had a community that I had forged a relationship with and if I didn't show up or if I didn't please them then that would have been really painful for me and I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice but it's the truth it's that I felt motivated to constantly show up to please my audience, otherwise I would feel like I would let them down. And it, there's, I think there's a bit of confrontation avoidance in there as well. Um, if I didn't show up or if I missed a post, then I might get a, a bit of feedback. It wouldn't be confrontational, but it would be like, what happened? Where are you? And there's something, there's a deep avoidance of that situation for me. I don't know where that comes from, but I think that's certainly a major factor which contributed to me not getting bored of the social media businesses I don't think it was a case of me always being pulled by motivation I think I was probably pushed by some kind of insecurity and and wanting to to let down the community that I had built and not wanting to even consider getting into a confrontation because for me letting someone down is opening up the gates of confrontation and and so I, I would never risk that happen so I turned up every day and I carried on building 
Yeah. And now, you know, listen, you've, you've got a, an amazing self-awareness of recognizing where those things, and, and I think you've spoken to me before about you recognizing where you overcommitted and you said yes to so many different people all the time. And now, now that you've got this understanding of ADHD, you know where that can come in. Like you said, the people pleasing, perhaps the rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, and now you are a little bit more conscious of what you say yes to and what meetings you take and you know what events you speak at and knowing that you have this propensity which can perhaps be a bit of a downfall um it, it's really interesting so would you say I mean how long has it been since you actually had your official diagnosis so I got diagnosed in December 2022 so it is coming up to a year so 11 a year. months yeah okay so and in that year, the fact that you've been able to now make quite big changes and see almost, would you say that you can spot your ADHD a couple of steps ahead and make decisions now that are good for your mental health, are good for you, you know, your boundaries? Are you still learning? You know, what's changed for you? Yeah, I think massively burnout is so much more obvious to me now I was completely oblivious to it so I just worked through it before and if I'm entirely honest I turned to alcohol during those moments and that was kind of my vice so it was a really toxic lack of self-awareness environment where I would just work relentlessly for a month I knew something wasn't quite working my brain wasn't optimal and that stressed me out so I drank to, and now I know that that was most likely burnout and, and, I, and I can recognize that and I can take a step back and, and not turn to alcohol. I think for me, when I stop doing the little things well, that's an early sign of burnout. And I use this example, I do a lot of filming and every single day I have to put my USB stick into my computer. And you know, when you, your computer prompts you to correctly, safely remove the USB stick, I know, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I know when I stop doing that, when I get into a frustration and I just yank out the USB that's when the details get compromised and for me that's an early sign that I'm working too much and I need to have a day off or I need to go for a walk or I need to go for a run because I was completely unaware of that before you know I'm lucky now in a way that I'm able to structure my my work life to include lots of breaks and I don't need to start working until about 10 o'clock every day and I can go to bed when I want. You know, So that's a huge contributing factor. Um, but I think, yeah, having that awareness of burnout is, is completely the main issue. And also the rejection sensitive dysphoria, you know, that, that I think for me is the most painful part of ADHD um, in my personal life for sure and in business. There's many reasons why a client or a podcast guest or whatever might throw you off. I'll give you an example. I was going on the train up to London to do a, a, a filming, an episode of my podcast. It was a really important day, a big guest. And I got a text message in the morning from a guest that was due in to come in in a few weeks and say, I'm really sorry, I can't come on your podcast anymore. And that completely derailed me. And I was sat on the train in this rage, ready to email their manager saying, what, why, why can't they come on? And then, But now I have that awareness to go, hang on, that's not... a rational response Mm. there's a million reasons why it's not even your business you don't need to know so I breathed and by the time I got to London I had calmed down I was able to look at that text and go into the interview and and have a successful day if I hadn't done that I probably would have texted that 
that, that person and got into a really weird situation, which would have ultimately made me incredibly anxious the next day and derailed me for probably a whole week. So I think having that awareness of, of rejection-sensitive dysphoria has been a huge game-changer. And when you recognize it, and I, it happens every day, like it, it's some more extreme than others, um, having an awareness of that has really changed the outcomes because I know I can feel it. You know, you can feel it. And you know when you feel that internalized dysregulation and that rage that you're probably dysregulated and maybe you should just take a step away from the situation and put some time between, again, that stimulus and then the reaction because nine times out of ten, if you don't do that, you will say something that is going to make you ultimately very anxious in the long run and really interfere with your productivity and results. So that's having that awareness. And also in my private life with my partner, it's this is probably the healthiest relationship I've ever had because of that awareness of rejection sensitivity for it. It's been the downfall of all of my previous relationships for sure. Um, for me, it's the most painful part of ADHD, but also once you have an awareness of it, it's, it's the biggest skill that has come from the diagnosis is having that awareness and, and to be able to respond more proportionately when there is a criticism in life because they, they come around you know, for perfectly valid reasons, but now I can respond to them in a much more rational way. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely relatable. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Because when we discuss it, we sort of say name it to tame it. And, you know, just to have that recognition. I mean, I've, the amount of times I've told someone about RSD, and they've been like, what do you mean? That's a thing. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's why you feel like you do. And that's why historically, you know, you've been impulsive, you've reacted, and you've felt like you've, you know, and then it's like you say, it's taken a week to get over because of all this anxiety of the way you reacted in that situation. And that moment where they kind of go, okay, so that's actually a thing. That's not just me being a terrible human. It's life-changing. I really do believe that. And um, to be able to see it and to spot it, breathe, pause, respond in a way that feels like we're not losing control of ourselves is really empowering. And when we can do that in business and we can do that in our private lives, all of a sudden, something changes, something quite big and pivotal changes in our life because we don't feel like we're being controlled by our dysregulation. Hi, so just a quick note to say, don't forget to have a look on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. I am in the process of curating a fantastic library of resources for you. There's lots of free resources on there. And I've just uploaded one, a workshop called Protecting and Nurturing Your ADHD Energy. And this is all about how to learn how to protect your energy and prevent burnout, something I'm really passionate about. And I've got lots of things on there, like my wellbeing toolkit, helping you with lots of different EFT videos. Those are paid for and free. And my signature program, which is the ADHD hormone series, which I'm constantly adding new content to. I'm honestly so proud of this program and the feedback and the recommendations I'm getting from so many different experts, psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors recommending it because the information in the hormone series is the most up-to-date, most groundbreaking out there if you are an ADHD woman and who wants to connect the dots about your health throughout 
the different stages in your life and especially if you are going through hormonal challenges. I've just updated it with some brand new speakers including Kate Shepard-Cohen who is a menstrual cycle support consultant, Dr Nicola Harker, she's a self-compassion teacher and leadership coach really helping us understand how powerful self-compassion can be when we've had a lifetime of not really understanding ourselves. And we've just got the fantastic Victoria White, who is a birth and postnatal doula for neurodivergent women. And we've also got Laura Spence. She's an ADHD midwife and perinatal mental health support. Dr. Rachel Gao, who is a nutritional neuroscientist and neurodevelopmental specialist. She's providing lots of mood tips and brain health recipes. And I really believe that so many different workshops can really help in so many different capacities, whether you have suffered with PMDD, endometriosis, you're going through perimenopause, you've just had a baby, you're pregnant, um, you've got a daughter that's going through puberty. There are so many different angles to being able to support and help ourselves and advocate for ourselves as women, neurodivergent women, where hormones have a massive part to play in our neurodivergence. So that's on the website right now. And please do just go and check out the resources. I'm building them as as much as I can. And I have got a new program coming out as well at the end of January. So keep an eye on out on that. If you sign up to any of my free resources, you'll be on my mailing list. And whenever anything new comes out, you'll be the first to know. And you'll also be the first to get the discounted options as well. So I really hope that's been of help. And now back to today's episode. I think it's really powerful for people to hear that. And especially for you who does spend a lot of time on social media, you know, you have a huge amount of engagement and there must be a huge amount of positivity, but the odd comment, I mean, I've had it where the odd comment and someone says something quite mean or challenges you or something like that, that really still throws me. And I kind of think that's it, throwing the whole, I'm like throwing it all away. I'm not doing this. It's not for me. Why would I put myself out there to do that when I'm trying to help people and someone says something to me? But now I'm able to kind of go, that's their thing. That's their thing. They're just projecting. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. And maybe, yes, I can have a conversation, but to acknowledge that their thing doesn't mean that's that's my thing. How do you find that? Because you are visible on social media and that's your thing and you're brilliant at it. How are you navigating that now for yourself as you create this new space with ADHD and you, and especially the interconnection between entrepreneurship as well and doing these events that you do? Mm. I think I'm able to look at feedback online quite objectively. It's when it rings true with something that you know to be right. I think it hurts a lot more. For example, when I used to post on Unilad, it would get engagement based on how funny it was. And I know that, you know, if I woke up one day and I wasn't feeling particularly on the ball and I thought, okay, I've got to post today. So I'll get something out. And then somebody would comment saying, oh, you used to be funny, mate. And because I know that's true, because I know that that post on that particular day isn't actually to the standard that I was happy to post that, but I just did it anyway, then that really hurts. If I'm genuinely happy and content with the content and I can objectively say, okay, there's a hundred comments one person said they don't like it, but 99 people said they do. And that's, that doesn't really get, like, get to me too much because objectively, you know, that person is in the minority. I think it is, it, it is incredibly painful when you put a lot of effort in to a bit of content and you get a majoritively negative reaction because that's objectively 
you've been proven wrong. You thought that was a good bit of content. You put it out and, and, and it wasn't. That's painful. Um, I think it was just relating it to business, it's good to have that really fast feedback loop. And I think that's something I've always been aware of, especially with, with social media. I, I fail incredibly fast and I'm able to get over that quite quickly. I don't, I don't dwell on the negativity. I'm aware that there's going to be an intense emotional reaction if I have to delete something five minutes after I posted it because it hasn't got the engagement that I was hoping for. But then I'm on to the next thing. It's like I'm super fast at making mistakes and I'm super fast at learning from them. I think people with ADHD are generally really good at it. It's that fast thinking, that inability to dwell on, a, on, on an event once you've got over that initial really intense emotion. And that is there every single time, but knowing that it, it will pass and you're on to the next bit of content, which is the next new mini hyperfocus. Yeah, I think you've you know spoken about intuition before and really understanding like intuitively what's going to land or like you say if you sort of post something and you know within you know a couple of minutes if it's not that engagement you kind of think okay and then would you say now that you've been almost given this permission to kind of lead more intuitively with how you progress now with work um with businesses with how you're going to take you know the next step um, and almost before you answer that, I guess a, a, quest, a precursor to that question was when you weren't working. And I know there was a period of time when you the businesses were sold and you were sort of in a semi-retirement. How how were you sort of from a mental health perspective, not using that business brain that just wants to keep um, creating? Because we see this a lot with people who aren't able to tap into their creativity. It, it impacts their mental health. Yeah, so... I made the mistake of I sold the social media companies in 2018 from anyone's perspective. Certainly from my perspective, I was, you know, celebrating rightly so. I mean, it was it was a it was a 10 year journey and I, I sold it. And I, OK, I've retired. I don't need to work again. Ridiculous thing to say. Um, didn't know I had ADHD at this point. Um, and I fell into a really dark place and the only thing that saved me was computer games you know and I, I I've, I've never really mentioned this before but for about a year and a half I didn't really leave my flat for any other reason other than to walk my dog and you know if that's what retirement looks like that was the only thing that that made my brain fire up was computer games and I didn't leave my flat when I was played Call of Duty on my Xbox for a year and a half and a year, I suddenly realised a year and I realised a year a year and a half had gone past because every year the game does like a Halloween special and I remember sat on my computer and, and the Halloween special had come around again and I was thinking, wow, a year has just gone past and I haven't done anything and I because of that I felt I had that want for more um, and yeah that that was probably I don't like to, to throw around the word depression but I think that was a slow and steady decline into it. And it wasn't until I actually realized that I was in it that I realized that I was in it, if that makes sense. Just just really, really dark, didn't leave my flat, dragging myself out to walk the dog, not really engaging, communicating with anyone. And my brain was just completely unstimulated. Like computer games, and I don't know the science, but that I was just almost addicted to th this computer game. I, it, it was really bizarre. Um, and I... And I um, 
pulled myself up and I thought I've, I've got to do something. And I, and I got this new idea to start a podcast and it was going to be a business podcast. And it was one of those mad moments where I took my bed apart. I turned my bedroom downstairs into a soundproof studio, spent a small fortune on cameras. I hired a producer. I hired a director. I sent emails to every sort of high profile person I could think of. Luckily, a few of them replied, booked them all to come down to Brighton. And then by the time all of the expensive cameras had arrived at my flat, I didn't want to do the podcast anymore. And I was just sat there in my PJs, taking 20 cardboard boxes off this postman with absolutely zero enthusiasm. I remember sat there and, and just feeling this, this hopelessness. Like, what on earth has happened? The contrast between how I'm feeling now, which is just nothing... I look at those boxes and there's not an ounce of excitement compared to what I was experiencing three nights ago when I ordered them, which was I was up till four in the morning, ordering it all, DMing everyone, couldn't sleep because I was so excited. Anyway, long story short, the, the guy I hired to produce the show said, so when did you get your ADHD diagnosis? And I looked at him and I thought, what do you mean? I, I haven't got, I've never, and he recognized the behavior and he said, oh, I just assumed you had ADHD because this is kind of classic behavior and that's what set me on the the path to to, to, to learning more about ADHD and, and then getting a, a, a assessed uh, about six months later but yeah you know going through that process of I, I didn't think I would ever be depressed and it's not until I actually found myself being depressed that I recognized that I was for me it was just not leaving my flat not really communicating with anyone um, not really doing anything. And my brain just almost went into hibernation in the worst way possible. And so when I had that idea to start this new podcast, it just fired up almost in like 10 times the amount of overdrive that it normally does in a hyperfocus. And I massively overcommitted to this project. She lost a huge amount of time, lost a, a lot of money having to, re to sell all of that stuff. But it's what opened the doors to, to awareness that my brain might work a bit differently. And, I, and that's what led me to get assessed and diagnosed. So, you know, it's a funny story, really, in hindsight, talking about setting up that podcast and losing interest in it. But at the time, yeah, I remember just sat there in tears on my bed looking at all these boxes. Um, rip, you know, my, my bed had been ripped apart. I had soundproofed my bedroom and now I didn't want to do it anymore. It was a feeling of hopelessness that I'd never experienced before. Yeah. You know, from your perspective, is the podcast feeding that purpose within you? And do you have any kind of next stages, next steps? Like what's 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 the next step for you? Or are you just happy where you are right now? Yeah, no, it, it definitely is feeding that purpose within me. And I wasn't sure if it would long term or if it was going to be a short term obsession like the others. So I didn't commit to it financially or resource for the first 25 episodes, I did 25 episodes virtually from my flat, minimal spend. And I realized that, that the intrinsic motivation was there. And I think it was there because when I got told by a psychiatrist that my ADHD was clear as hell, I, it was such a contrast to what I believed ADHD to be. Um, there was one boy when I was at school who was 
openly diagnosed with ADHD and, and he was very um, stereotypically sort of very hyperactive and that was what I thought ADHD would be. So when a psychiatrist was explaining to me that there was this other type, I just felt like that was my new mission to learn as much about ADHD as possible because I realised how little I actually knew and I wanted to speak to as many people as possible and because I wasn't doing anything, I had the time, I thought, well, let's just make the conversations public. So that was the podcast. I think the way that what's kept me interested in it is very similar to what what happened with the social media businesses is that it's, well, A, it's actually on social media, like the, the landscape is, is on social media for me. Um, and each guest is a new mini hyperfixation to obsess over. So even though the podcast is grown it's really just made up of mini hyper fixations building blocks each episode is like a mini business for me it's a new person to get excited about it's a new person to deep dive and to really get obsessed over and then i interview them i say goodbye and then it's on to the next and actually that's so each each episode is like a mini business for me and they just they just all add together add together to make a big big business and I think that's so key with anyone with ADHD is trying to find out a way to, to, to really separate a big daunting business into, into many many bricks um, whether that's a good analogy or not but I think I think you sort of get what I'm going at um, and then they all stack up to, to make to make the bigger business and which keeps that interest so yeah you know it's definitely maintained my interest what's next i just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. I haven't got an end goal with it. Um, just keep going. As long as as long as I wake up, that's my biggest fear: is waking up and, and being like, "Oh, I don't want to do that anymore," um, because now I have committed financially. You know, I've gone up to London. I've got a studio. I have a crew now, and and I'm six months in. All this kind of stuff. So that's that's my biggest fear: is waking up and going, "Oh no, I'm now I'm dragging myself. I'm dragging myself to to my computer. I'm dragging myself through this research because that's that's fatal." Um, I've found out in the past but it hasn't happened and actually weirdly it, it's well amazingly it's going the other way as time goes on I'm more excited to find someone new to bring on I'm more excited to, to go up to London to do another day's of filming um, and I think it's because the community is getting bigger it's the same it's the same thing that happened with the social media stuff I have a community now like you do with this podcast you have a community you see the feedback in real time you post out an episode you see people's gratitude. You see people learning in real time, um, and I think as time goes on, perhaps you know I'll, I'll meet my community. I'll be able to shake their hand. I'll be able to give them a hug, and it just reinforces that that accountability and that that people pleasing element to me. To see the messages that I get and, and you'll get with this podcast, I think that's definitely what keeps me going. To building that community and and not wanting to let them down, and that really is uh, paramount. And also the burnout, because aside from all of that, you know, burnout is powerful and that, that is something to really be aware of. And there have been mornings where I've woken up and I can sort of not, and I felt not quite as compelled to, to go upstairs and go on my computer as I normally do. So super in, in line and aware of those mini feelings now when, when they do happen and they happen they happen about about once a week or once a fortnight. You know, I, I go for a longer dog walk or or I avoid coffee that day or 
I go for a run or I actually just have the, the whole day off and more often than not you do that and I come back. But it's that community and knowing that I've got this support, you know, some of them are cheering, some of them are just listening silently, but I know they're there because I can see the engagement and, and to know that it's having a real life impact on a massively underserved community still, I think that's definitely what is keeping my interest and will keep my interest into the future. Yeah. I think what's happening in this landscape is that so many people are still undiagnosed, you know, and we think there's this been huge boom with ADHD and there has, um, but actually I think it's much more common. You know, they say it's like one in five, you know, 20% of the population, but then they say 20% of the population doesn't even know that they're neurodivergent. And so there's this situation where actually being neurodivergent is much more common. It shows up in different ways, but to have these conversations that you and I are having in our different communities, but also bringing in the well-being aspect, the burnout, the um, business side, like really understanding how it's sort of like this full circle. So I feel like, you know, with you, you've got so much more to offer, like so much more to give. Like this is just the beginning. I genuinely can see like you doing great things in this in this community and it's so exciting to watch. It's great to be part of it. And um, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of people that you're you're helping a huge amount. And, you know, if you've done all this in a year, um, I'm excited to see what's what's to come. Um, so I just wanted to thank you. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story, um, which I know will be, you know, really relatable. Um, but I know it's not easy as well to kind of go there and talk about lots of different things. And um, hopefully it's given you a bit of an opportunity because, you know, with your podcast, you're asking everyone all the questions and no one gets to hear your story as much. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, well, thank you so much for the invite, Kate. It was, uh, yeah, it was an honour. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I think what, if, if I was to, to, to add just one thing at the end, I think is that you mentioned the word shame and I just wanted to add one thing. I've really removed a lot of shame since my diagnosis and the tools that I use to stay organised and I can see the results, the trajectory of, of my outcomes in business has, has gone up massively. For example, I always used to think that I had to use my electronic calendar on my phone because that's what adults do and actually have that awareness now that I'm really bad at looking at my phone because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So I have this huge colourful whiteboard in my desk now, which I everything's colour-coded and that's really, really helped me stay organised. Um, you mentioned shame and I just wanted to, to throw that in there. The tools that I use and a lot of people with ADHD perhaps need are quite contradictory to what we're told we should be using in order to do certain things in life. And actually, a lot of the stuff that's designed for for people to do stuff doesn't work for me so I have to do stuff my own way and there's no shame in doing stuff even if it might look a little bit silly if it works for you it works for you it's really powerful to see that um and the more we we spot it we say it we I really believe that when we give it a voice it lessens it all and it takes it all down so we just kind of have to keep talking and communicating and your you know your podcast my podcast lots of other podcasts out there you know are doing this and so Thank you so much. And I hope um, we will speak again very soon. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and it resonated with you, I would absolutely love it if you could share on your platforms or maybe leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do check out my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk for lots of free resources and paid for workshops. I'm uploading new things all the time and I would absolutely love to see you there. Take care and see you for the next episode.